of how exhilarated I am tonight. Oh, and you know why? I, it, it was late this year. It was late this year, and uh, I was worried that it wouldn't even arrive this year. It was late. It was at least three months late. But it's here. So I know that things are normal, at least in certain respects, in a fast-changing world. And I feel better. I've got my winter cold. <laughs> I got my winter cold, and it was at least two or three months late. <sighs> oh, I'm glad it's here. <laughs> Brooke. Uh, Joe, please, watch me. Now, don't worry about the yakety. We're going on to something else. Now, come on. Now, it's going to be over there. Now, I'll tell you when. Now, you see, since my cold has arrived, and, uh, you know, it's normal. I like that feeling. I Certain things, you, you have to count on certain things in this life. Do you agree? Certain things. Wouldn't you, think how rotten you'd feel if next week, Thursday, didn't come. You'd, you'd, you'd feel nervous. Uh, think how you would feel. Now, everybody, everybody who is uh, at least uh, has a modicum of intelligence can't stand Mondays. You agree? Monday's a drag, right? But you, can you imagine how you would feel, in spite of the fact that you hate Monday, if next week Monday simply does not arrive? There would be a feeling of disquiet, nervousness, a feeling of, uh, of uh, almost fear. Well, I was afraid that things were really changing this year since I had not gotten my winter cold. My winter cold usually comes in November. Now, the winter, yes, and I greet it often, you know. It just, it just arrives like Christmas arrives, like Thanksgiving arrives. And November came and went. Shepherd had no cold. December came and went. No cold. And February had almost gotten away when I began to feel the first faint welcome tingles of the approaching cold. Well, I sat in my office thinking about it, seeing my nose is running, my eyeballs are bugged out, and uh, I was hacking and borking, and, uh, you know, and, and I welcomed that feeling of depression that always comes with the cold because it made me feel at last the normality of life has returned. I hate to be the only healthy man in a world that is suffering from advanced cold sores. I hate to be the only one. And so, when my cold came on, I kind of greeted it, and I sat there, and, you know, uh, every time you get this depression, which you get with a cold, you know, you feel like your head's floating around the ceiling there. I have my own little cures for that. Whenever I start feeling depressed, I turn around, I got this tape cassette recorder in my office, and I put this tape on. It just brings it back. First thing you do is let them, let them know that you're there. This requires volume. The second thing you need to do is to, after you get their attention is to let them know that you're calling pigs. This is the second part of the call. And the third thing is to even get the little fellows that have just left their mama get their attention. So it goes like this. Oh, that's great. Every time I feel rotten, reset that, Joe. I'm going to need that again. Every time I really feel rotten, I put that on. That, 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 that dame has a fantastic voice, and, and she really knows what she's doing. Like this afternoon, when I put it on my own little tape recorder, you know, I played it. Three salesmen came running down. They thought they were being called. 
Uh, <laughs> or didn't you get that? Well, while we're on the subject of salesmen, let's go on with one of our little commercials here. Do you know that leisure expositions, kind of like these new names of great hip new outfits, leisure expositions announces that the 1974 International Sports Show is coming to the New York Coliseum. And uh, it's going to begin Saturday, March 9th. It runs through March 17th. The New York Coliseum will be filled with all the latest in sporting and camping equipment. Every time I, I uh, see the word sporting, my mind constantly picks up the archaic use of the term sporting. And I would follow that up any longer. That's a Tom Jones type of sport. But nevertheless, travel, vacation information, the show features a wide variety of recreation vehicles. You know, motor-driven, flexible flyers. Uh, yeah, you know, you can even now buy today motor-driven roller skates. Oh, it's just fantastic. With the gas shortage, that may be great. They run on CO2, Joe. You can buy, you can buy a pedal-operated uh, recreational camper for the entire family. There are eight sets of pedals in it. And the whole damn family pedals their way up to the Catskills. And uh, there's all kinds of great stuff that's now showing. And uh, this is going to be the International Sports Show. It'll be at the Coliseum beginning Saturday, March 9th, and running through March 17th. You must have a goodie for us in there, Joe. Well, come on. First thing you do is let them, let them know that you're there. This requires volume. The second thing you need to do is to, after you get their attention is to let them know that you're calling pigs. This is the second part of the call. And the third thing is to even get the little fellows that have just left their mama get their attention. So it goes like this. Yes, and the little fellows are coming around. You know, the thing that I like about that, you're, you're probably wondering why I'm doing this thing, but uh, we discovered last month when I played that, Joe, it was a very important discovery we made here, that every time I played the hog-calling lady, my listenership went up 3%. Now, I'm not making any accusations. <laughs> I'm just merely saying, as a pragmatist, I mean, when, you know, when it works, it works. I ain't going to argue with it. And I'm making no, I'm not imputing your particular poor scene qualities. Yes, indeed, but be careful. If you get too close to the trough, the biggies will have to step all over you. But don't stand too close to it there, fellas. Please, Joe, now give me a little of that the bad news music. They did yakety, please, please. See, I do this, I do this too, because occasionally I, I, I like to remind myself, the slob is eternal. He's eternal. Here he sits at the bar yapping away. How many times have you seen guys sitting up at the bar talking just like this? No basic rhyme nor reason, just plenty of beat. Plenty of Jack Daniels. That's right. Jack Daniels, well, personally, I'm a wild turkey man. Yeah, that's the trouble. Of course, I live high up the hog. A little I.W. Harper occasionally. You know, when I'm slumming. 
Hold it there. Thank you, Joe. Hey, they're certainly, uh, certainly stirring up the troops tonight. Tell you, the rest is like... And we're going to have a full field inspection before this night is out. And you damn well better have all your tent pegs. There's going to be plenty of stripes lost around here. Incidentally, the Westchester Corporation's Antiques Fair and Flower Show, this is a warning, will be at the New York Coliseum March 7th through the 13th. Open daily from noon till 9 p.m. Tickets will be $2.50. Yes, indeed. Uh, that's the Westchester Corporation's Antiques Fair and Flower Show. Uh, it's going to be at the New York Coliseum, March 7th through the 13th. So get on the shtick. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Do, do, we have any, do we have any flower cuckoos who listen? To, I can't, can't believe it. I mean, you know, guys that are hung on hollyhocks. That's, that's a strange hang-up. Oh, I, I suppose, you know, I, 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 why am I making value judgments here tonight? What is it with me? I mean, hey, by the way, uh, uh, before we uh, get too deeply involved in... Hey, let, may I do this one thing, Joe, please? I, I just feel the urge tonight. I want to sing the Tasty Cake jingle, please. Would you please play it for me? Please. There we go, gang. Let's all sing together. All together now. Let's all take a tasty break and have a lot of fun. Tasty cake is all the good things. All the good things wrapped up in one. <laughs> yes, friends. Tasty cake. When you get down, right down to the basics in eating, let's face it. One of the basic fun foods is tasty cake. Inside are all the great tasting tasty cakes you know and love in that beautiful wrapper. Tandy takes. Try saying that without being embarrassed. Give me uh, $2 worth of Tandy takes, please. Crimpets, cupcakes, and the like. And, uh, by the way, they have puzzles, American history series, all kinds of great things printed on the package. If you get tired of eating, you can read the package. Tasty cakes, tasty cakes, the fun cakes, tasty cake family packs. Sing it. Let's oh, have a lot of fun, yeah. Tasty cake is all the good things, all the good things wrapped up in... Why do you hear this, kid? Now watch this. I stepped on three of those kids last week. We came in and cleaned it up. You'd be surprised the stuff that's in them. This is WOR New York. Uh, yeah, I mean, that should be a warning in itself. Right there, I'll repeat it. This is WOR New York. Right. Tandy takes. Can you imagine W.C. Fields doing that commercial? Tandy takes and all the good things wrapped up in one. All right, okay. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a very important philosophical question here before we go any further tonight. Uh, it is an important philosophical question. For those of you who read labels, do you read labels at all? Now, now there's two ways to read labels. There's, you know, there's the kind of uh, there's the kind of uh, dedicated label reader who just reads the label because he likes the singing prose on it. He enjoys the style. 
Then there's the other kind, the angry kind, who wants to find out what kind of rotten stuff they're putting in there. In addition to the beans, you know, <laughs> way down at the bottom. <laughs> you know the kind. Well, uh, I, I, I am a very eclectic re uh, reader of labels. Eclectic means that uh, I'll just read any label that comes across the, uh, the horizon. Like the other day, I was reading the label on a Copenhagen snuff can. It's very interesting to me. Uh, very different than you're used to reading, because most people don't run into Copenhagen snuff cans. Do you know that in the, in the uh, cigarette machines down south, in many places, they have Copenhagen snuff? Yeah, you know. Just put in your, what is it, 50 cents or something, and out comes a can of snuff. And I, I, I think with the current craze of nostalgia becoming truly a craze, I think uh, these people that are into the nostalgia have got all kinds of theories about it, but it's a kind of curious, inverted, odd sort of, uh, uh, almost a sickness with many people. And I suspect that you're going to see a sudden interest in snuff. What is more snuff? After all, George Washington was a snuffer. I mean, you know, he was, you know. And, uh, Thomas Jefferson was not above uh, taking a snuff, uh, what do they call it, a sniff? Snuff, sniff, now and then. Sure. Just think what style it will be uh, uh, when, you're, when you're sitting there at the chock full of nuts with all of your other... Uh, elegant stylistic friends, you know, with the bells and all that, and the long hair all over the place, and everybody's, uh, you know, sitting down there and eating the chocolate brownies, and somebody, somebody takes out his forty cent cigar and lights up. Somebody else uh, uh, whips out his, uh, you know, his old-fashioned types of smoking cigarettes. That's way out. That's that's as out as you can get. Cigarette smokers today are like people who are still reading copies of Life magazine. It's out. Incidentally speaking, have you seen that new magazine? They're all, yeah, have you seen the question you know that has always bothered philosophers is this now, now wait just 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 be calm a minute Joe just uh, you'll hear what it is people you know the, the 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 question that has bothered philosophers for centuries is does life imitate art or does art limit uh, imitate life that's a good question in other words, do movies have anything to do with real life, or does somebody go to the movies and then decide that he's going to act like Dustin Hoffman? <laughs> you know, and become nervous and sensitive and hide in the bushes a lot and look like he's got problems with his adenoids. Yeah, that's uh, basically his uh, basic approach to acting. Now, uh, uh, does life imitate art or the other way around? Well, I was fascinated. They, they came out with this new magazine. You've seen it around. They've been advertising it all over the place. Well, all of us know about that magazine. That magazine, for years, has been published on a TV show. You mean you've never seen the name of the game? All right. Gene Barry, the star, is a famous publisher. He's a publisher in that series. And what does he publish? You don't know the name of the magazine? You're going to learn, friend. It's called people. <laughs> so everybody's going to feel kind of comfortable buying that magazine. You know, they know Gene Barry is is is, is uh, publishing it, and he's flying all over the world uh, doing these stories on these people. And uh, he's got this cute secretary named Peggy. Peggy's very helpful on that magazine. You don't see anybody else there, just Gene Barry and his girl Peggy. Somehow they're doing this fantastic. Now they're going to have to bring out a magazine called Crime. And, of course, we know that Anthony Franciosa 
he uh, he he is the editor of that. That'll be the. <laughs> does life imitate art? Excuse me, life, but does it imitate art? And I'm using it in the capitalized sense. Lifetime imitate art. Or does art imitate lifetime? It's hard to know. People cry. So, so yeah, these are these are the philosophical questions that bug a man of, of a thoughtful nature in our times. It's very, very difficult to know. Uh, wait, wait till they announce that that uh, Cannon, Frank Cannon, has been hired as chief of detectives of the New York City Police Department. Wouldn't you feel better if Cannon was on the job? That's right. Very much so. That's right. And uh, I, I can... Yes, wait till they announce that Marty Milner has been promoted from, uh, from sergeant to detective with a full detective rank and takes over the patrol operations of the New York City Police. Marty Milner, by the way, is the, uh, is the angry one of the team in uh, Adam-12. You don't know that, do you? You have heard of Adam-12? I see. Well, they don't show that in your bar. I see. I see. They don't. They don't put Adam Twelve on your bar. You spend most of your time in, in the bar than watching bowling for dollars, huh? Intellectual. There's a show for you. My God, that's an art form. <laughs> so uh, my my feeling about this is that we're we're. This is the first indication now that uh, that life is beginning to totally imitate. Well, I hate to use the word art when you're dealing with television. But uh, I suppose for our time it'll have to do, right? Sure. So uh, it's getting to the point now where life is, in fact, imitating art, ergo television. And curiously enough, it is life itself. You know, people is published by Lifetime. Or didn't you know that? You stick with me and you're going to hear all kinds of uh, theological arguments here. <laughs> you notice it wasn't Ziff Davis that published people, it wasn't Fawcett publications, it was life publications. So life is now imitating art, and we'd like to salute you out there, Lifetime, and I hope that uh, Gene Berry fits into this operation well, and I hope that uh, Peggy, the cute secretary, keeps that magazine humming. Uh, we, we've never heard much about the circulation figures of the magazine that this guy supposedly uh, publishes on the TV show, but uh, we assume that it's very successful. After all, he has this big staff. There's Peggy. That's right. And Anthony Franciosa keeps coming in and out once in a while talking about his magazine, Crime. That would be a good magazine for today. Just a magazine, Crime. The Thug of the Week. Uh, center fold out, you know. <laughs> the Godfather of the Month, you know. Just folds out, and there he is sitting in front of his, his uh, with family portrait, you know, with all the, all the statues all around him, and... Uh, uh, you know, he's taking some time. Well, you know, you can just follow this all the way, you know. <laughs> Depends uh, whether you're pro-crime or anti-crime or merely passive. I think most of us are just passive, don't you agree? And while we're talking about the passive, uh, don't be passive friends about the food that you eat. Be dynamic and aggressive. And I'd like to recommend a visit to the House of Chan. If you've been stuffing your face with uh, second-rate oriental food for all these years, you may not have even known it. You know the commercial that comes out and says the worst thing to happen to a guy today is to buy the wrong beer. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible to discover you've been drinking the wrong beer. The wrong beer, of course, is the beer that is not being advertised by the agency that is putting out this commercial. Now, I would like to suggest you could very well have been eating the wrong Chinese food all these years. 
And if you'd like to try the right Chinese food for a change, go down to 52nd Street and 7th Avenue, the House of Chan. You drop in it or open seven days a week. I pull from here where it's up there, of course. But I'm using the down in the old New England sense. The further one goes north in the New England terminology, the further one goes down, right? Now, yes, you're going down to Maine. You heard him say going down east? So I'd like to suggest that the House of Chen is serving the right Chinese food. Right. And uh, they, they serve a, a mysterious oriental Manhattan. Very interesting at their bar. Have you ever had an oriental concocted ma uh, martini? Oh, so. Tastes like no martini you ever had. Near the twain shall meet. And so if you are... <laughs> sweet and sour martinis. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, the House of Chad is a really superb restaurant. They've been there for 35 years. And if you can cut it in this town for that long... We've done Women's Day already. Oh, no, no, we haven't, no. I would like to suggest you try it. It's 52nd Street and 7th Avenue, and they're open in time for the, you know, the theater. If you go in there and you got to make some uh, real important uh, date at the theater, you know, you got this chick waiting for you in your lobby, you want to have a quick egg roll, well, you just tell them you're on your way. You're hurried. They'll, they'll, they'll get it there quick. 52nd Street and 7th Avenue, House of Chan. <laughs> so one half doesn't the other, friends. Hey, listen, no, all kidding aside, I, I, uh, let's do one more. Let's get this, this last one out of the way here. And it's another restaurant spot. And uh, are you prepared for this? Take the potatoes out of your ears. He's got a quiver in his voice. And uh, deep emotion. You can just hear it pouring out of him. Bear Faba. What you here now? Now we can do the show. You ready? All right. I'm sitting there the other day, see. I'm over at the old H&H, &H, see. And, and uh, somebody put <laughs> somebody put on the table there. Now, 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 one thing we all know about in this land of ours... What is more American? It's even more American, by the way, than hamburgers. Let's face it, the hamburger, you know, is not an American dish. Did you know that? No, this is a shock that comes to many people. Why do they call it hamburger? It was named after a German city, Hamburg. And how it came to be that sailors used to go into that port. It is a port city. And they used to get these these sandwiches made out of ground beef. <laughs> and and they used to call them that and they were began to be called hamburger sandwiches or sandwiches eaten by the natives of Hamburg. Or they were really hamburger sandwiches. And so it spread to the United States about the time of World War One. And uh it's a very interesting story about the hamburger. It spread to the United States just before World War One. Became very popular. People began to make this ground meat stuff, making it into a sandwich, and they called it Hamburg, or, or th that was the really official term, Hamburg, really referring to the city, Hamburg, uh, or Hamburg if you prefer, and uh, sometimes called Hamburger, which means this, a native of uh, of uh, the city. Well, at that point, when World War I became very, very tough, uh, there was a great wave of patriotism and a great wave of anti-German feeling. And so they demanded that they, they stop calling it that. And so they started to call it Salisbury Steak. 
That was a, an artificial name that was, the, that was uh, created, Salisbury being a town in England. <laughs> so let's name it after the English who were fighting so hard in those days against the Germans. Yeah, that's, this is actually the truth. Now you'll find the terms now occasionally are used uh, in parallel. You'll, you'll see it on a menu, Salisbury steak. Uh, well, actually, they're talking about hamburger. And uh, so if you want to be elegant, you call it after an English place. If you want to be uh, McDonald's, it's a hamburger. So uh, the, the, now, the, the idea that a hamburger is American is one of those American myths. People say, oh, what's more American than a hamburger? Well, that's a very bad choice of an American dish. So is apple pie. And I have to say, with all due respect to uh, Leroy Brown, our... Uh, or Norman Mailer, who keeps saying as American as apple pie. And the apple pie is definitely not an American dish. It is also a German dish. <laughs> and yes, uh, it's uh, not an American dish. Now let's talk about something that is American. Uh, the world was not prepared for it when it hit, and it's become more and more American as time has gone by. What is more American than ketchup? That's right, it is an American invention. Now, there have been other sauces that have been uh, what which you might call popular slob sauce. What is a slob sauce? Well, it's a thing that you find in restaurants that you dump over your meat. Now, the reason that many of these things became popular, particularly in cheap restaurants, was because the food was tasteless generally in a cheap restaurant. So you have to put this stuff all over it to make it taste like anything. And, and the more elegant the restaurant, the more elegant the food, the less you tend to see these things on the table, because it's not necessary. So uh, you're not going to find ketchup on the table, let's say, at, uh, at a place where they sell $7 steaks. Uh, but if some slob wants it, hey, I'll put the ketchup, huh? Well, okay. Uh, many people prefer ketchup to, to meat, uh, to food now. In fact, it's quite popular. You'll see a guy with a ketchup sandwich. Uh, <laughs> that's true. The ketchup is a. This is Archie Bunker. See, he he likes ketchup on everything. Now the English version. There are several English sauces that were used for that same purpose. The English ketchup, really, say, is a one. Yes, that's that's the English version. Or Worcestershire sauce is another one. But it's mostly a one. The sauces of this type, prepared sauces. Now, the other day, see, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at the at the label of this this. Uh, ketchup, big bottle of ketchup. I'm over there in the H&H, &H, you know, somebody left a ketchup bottle there. Now, the question arises right away, what is the most popular ketchup that you immediately think of ketchup? What, what, what name you think of? Heinz, right, okay. Now, that's exactly what was on this label. But below it was a very interesting thing, a little slogan that you've seen all of your life. And I'll bet you've never really questioned it. What is the slogan of the Heinz people? Nope. Correct. 57 varieties. Now, the question arises, what are the 57 varieties? Are there, in fact, 57 varieties? Well, now, this is the first time probably that you've ever encountered this. You are listening to a guy who is about to read to you the 57 varieties that Heinz actually puts out. And they actually do. They do make 57 varieties. <laughs> now, do you want to hear it? Give me a little cheap guitar music, Joe, and I will, I will read to you the list of the 57 varieties. Cheap guitar. 
Yes, there really are 57 varieties, Virginia. There are 57 varieties. Because belief is important in this world, Virginia. And if you believe there are 57 varieties, Virginia, there are 57 varieties. There are cynics who will not buy this. There are cynics who laugh and say, no, it's just a slogan. But Virginia, there are 57 varieties. Number one, Heinz oven baked beans with pork. Number two, Heinz oven baked beans without tomato sauce, with pork. Three, Heinz oven baked beans in tomato sauce without meat or vegetarian beans. Four, Heinz oven baked red kidney beans. Heinz cream of tomato soup. Heinz cream of green pea soup. Heinz cream of celery soup. Heinz mincemeat. Heinz plum puddings. Heinz fig pudding. Aha! How do you like that one? I've never seen that. But there it is. It's number 10. Heinz peanut butter. I've never seen that either. Heinz cooked spaghetti. Heinz cherry preserves. Heinz red raspberry preserves. Heinz peach preserves. Heinz damson. Mm, that's number 16 on the list. Heinz strawberry preserves. Heinz pineapple preserves. Heinz crab apple jelly. Heinz currant jelly. Heinz grape jelly. Heinz quince jelly. Heinz apple butter. Yes. And Heinz preserves sweet gherkins. Heinz preserves sweet mixed pickles. Heinz sour spiced gherkins. Heinz sour mixed pickles. Heinz chow chow pickle. Heinz sweet mustard pickle. Heinz dill pickles. There's the classic. Uh, we have others. That's number 30 on the list. 31 is Heinz fresh cucumber pickle. Heinz fresh cucumber relish. Heinz India relish. Heinz sandwich relish. Heinz sour pickled onions. Heinz preserved sweet onions. Heinz Spanish queen olives. <laughs> you didn't know they did all this, did you? They do have 57 varieties. Heinz Spanish. Listen to this one. Heinz Spanish Manzilla Olives. Heinz Stuffed Spanish Olives. Heinz Ripe Olives. Heinz Pure Spanish Olive Oil. Heinz Tomato Ketchup. There we go. By the way, that's, if you're curious, on the list, that's number 42. Heinz Chili Sauce, number 43. Heinz Beef Steak Sauce. You ever seen that one? Heinz Beef Steak Sauce. How about Heinz Red Pepper Sauce? Heinz green pepper sauce, Heinz Worcestershire sauce, Heinz prepared mustard, Heinz prepared mustard sauce. And here's an exotic one, Heinz evaporated horseradish. We've gotten a lot of that from the 23rd floor, haven't we, from time to time. Uh, we also have Heinz salad cream, Heinz mayonnaise salad dressing, Heinz pure malt vinegar, Heinz pure cider vinegar, number 55, Heinz distilled white vinegar, number 56, Heinz tarragon vinegar, and finally, Heinz, number 57, rice flakes. So, Virginia, there are 57 varieties. How do you like that? Now, I, I have no connection with Heinz. I quickly leap in and say, this is not a commercial. It's nothing to do with it. But all of your life, you've heard that phrase, 57 varieties.
How much time do we have? Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> I had a thing happen to me once when I was a kid that, that burned that thing into my mind forever. That, that we came out to the New York World's Fair. I was just a kid. And my mother and father we drove out here to the fair. See, this is big Chicago, the, rather the New York World's Fair, you know, with the Trilon and the Paris Fair. You've seen all that stuff. And and they had a, a an exhibit, and they gave everybody who came to that exhibit, if you were a kid, they gave you a little green pickle that was a pin, and you could wear this pin, and it had a gold fifty-seven on it. Well, <laughs> did you ever see those little pickles? There were pins. Well. I, I, you know, I wish I had my pin now. That would look kind of great, you know. Walk into the Four Seasons wearing your little green Heinz 57 pickle. And let them know that you're a true believer. But one time, I had a great experience that I've never forgotten. My old man loved to go to airports. Joe, we're not going to use any more music. Just relax, okay? So yeah, I'm going to use, the, however, that, that, uh, that cut that I gave you. Not music, remember. Just give me a lot of sound of motors, that's all. But yeah, that's right. That we went out one time. This was a, this was. I was a little kid. I was about maybe six or seven. My old man used to love to go to the airport and just just on a Sunday and watch airplanes come in and go. And we'd sit there for a while. He'd drink, uh, you know, he'd drink uh, a beer and we'd have a coke, sit in the back seat there and watch the airplanes. It was a kind of yeah. Everybody's done that. It was kind of a nice Sunday afternoon. But one Sunday, we went out to the airport. For a special thing, the old man had to go because it was all in the papers. There was a big event about to happen at the airport, and thousands of people arrived out there. And the cars were parked all around the airport for the arrival of this fantastic moment. And everybody was watching and waiting, and the, uh, the announcements were coming out over the PA system. Uh, we have just received information that the aircraft is 14 miles south of the field, 14 miles directly south. Everybody's looking up there with, with binoculars. And then the announcement came, uh, The aircraft has just contacted us now and is six miles south of the field and is now at 2,000 feet. Everybody's looking. And there's a crowd is waiting. You know, they're all roped off. Police are there. There must be 10,000 people every five feet. They're packed all around the field. And then there was a tiny dot appeared. Everybody started to cheer. Off in the south, a little dot appeared. And you could hear the sound of the motor faintly. Just, oh, no, no, that's a that's an airplane starting, Joe. This is a plane flying, man. Get a plane that's flying. If you can't find it, don't put it on at all. It's the sound of an airplane flying. Uh, it says, over the trenches, Joe. <laughs> okay, set it in the back. That's where it is. You've got it in the beginning, Joe. Set it in the middle. All right, don't 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 play that at all. And that's that's going to kill the whole story, Joe. Stop right there. So we saw this dot. Come on, Joe. Listen to the story. We saw this dot, see, appearing in the horizon. The crowd is cheering. You hear the sound of this motor. We would have had a motor, but we, you know, a little problem. You hear the sound of this motor coming. And the crowd is standing on cars, and he circled the field at about a thousand feet. You could see the sun glinting on this airplane, and it was a special gold-colored airplane low wing crowd was cheering and then he made a big circle of, of the field and he started to make his approach coming in and as he made his approach instead of coming in and landing he poured the coal to this baby and he went right down the center of the runway at about maybe 300 feet doing slow rolls 
It just rolled right over the field. The people are going ape. This magnificent golden airplane. He made another circle at low altitude, and he came in and laid that plane down on the runway, and he just roared along, taxing out. And as he did this, he pushed back the canopy. The airplane was open, actually. It was not a canopy. You could see this guy sitting in there with a white scarf. And on the side of the airplane was a great big green 57. 57 varieties. And he got out of the plane. The crowd was cheering. And he got out of the plane and stood on the wing. And as he got out, his mascot got out of the plane with him. It was a lion cub. Get a lion in the airplane. Big white scarf. And the mayor is down there to greet him. And they're giving him a medal. And everybody's cheering. And the crowd is standing around watching this thing. The old man is just flipping. Who was that? He was a great historical character in aviation. And, and he traveled around with this golden, low-winged Lockheed, the big green 57 on it. And he just was making a personal appearance. He just landed in that field, and everybody cheered. He took his medal. <laughs> they took photographs. He got back in the airplane, and blum, blum. Didn't even, didn't even enter the crowd. The crowd is cheering. And he just went, wow. He spun the plane around and blipped the motor. And everybody got this great slipstream, you know, this prop stream roaring back. And then he went down that runway in the opposite direction, heading into the wind, you know, right into the wind. And up he went. And he flew around the field doing slow rolls, and then he finally disappeared in the direction of Chicago. Fantastic moment. Ever since that time, I've had a soft spot in my head for Heinz Ketchup. <laughs> Lion Cubs and Golden Lockheeds. Yes, flying white silk scarves. And the sign of, sound of a right engine. At full bore. At low altitude. Oh, he went across that field like a, like a hurricane. Who was it? I will award Brass Pig McGee and the Green Pickle Citation to anyone out there who could tell me who that was. I'm not going to tell you. Don't sit there waiting for me to tell you. If you don't know American history, I'm not going to be the one. Who was the father of our country? And you all looked like Donald, huh? You didn't know it was 57 days, did you? You ought to start reading those labels. The Breakfast of Champions. What what cereal was that? Right, and why did they say that? Who was the champion? That's right. Jack Armstrong never ties an M, and neither will you. And he was a recognized champion, wasn't he? We don't have champions anymore. We just have guys whose contracts are owned by a syndicate, right?